Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to the Capital Club Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Excelsior Capital, an investment platform focused on democratizing private equity by providing individuals access to direct opportunities. To learn more about the firm in the Capital Club community, visit our website at www.excelsiorgp.com and connect with Brian on LinkedIn. Hello and welcome to the Excelsior Capital Club podcast. Today I have with me Aaron Lohman. Aaron is the co-founder and CEO of Earn DLT, a New York-based enterprise technology platform that has developed applications that facilitate streamlined commercial real estate finance and energy production. Aaron and I have known each other for a while. We did a panel discussion up in New York for a family office conference that was great. So I'm excited to have him on the show and thank you for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me, Ryan. Good to see you again. So when I did this in Nashville, we actually did a session on blockchain. What problem is blockchain solving within the real estate ecosystem? I think the main problem that it's solving is allowing for a level of transparency and control and certainty that just hasn't existed before in the current system. It eliminates the need for trust, which has always been an impediment in in deploying capital I and mean, getting past that, that issue. So I want to go, I mean, the platform, and maybe let's start there. Could you maybe just give us the high level on, on what you're doing at, at Earn? And for that, I want to eventually go through the whole cycle of kind of a soup to nuts real estate transaction and how on each kind of step of that journey, you're helping make things more efficient, more transparent, and, and leveraging technology to do so. But maybe start with what you're doing at, at Earn specifically. Yeah, absolutely. So what we're doing at Earn is we're developing tools, enterprise-focused tools that allow for medium to large organizations to access a private blockchain, giving them much more efficiency and scalability in their day-to-day operations. 
What the blockchain is allowing for these organizations is something that hasn't existed yet in technology, and that's the ability to make their data portable and actually monetize that data in ways that they never had previously. So one of those use cases as it pertains to real estate is in the lending space. And what we're finding now is that one of the the biggest bottlenecks that still exists in the space is the settlement of these loans when they're traded from one lender to another after they've been originated. And what the blockchain allows for in, in this particular use case is a much more streamlined process when it comes to representing your loan inventory, if you're a lender, out to your trading partners in real time, allowing them to have full view into the loan files. And then with the use of the blockchain, cryptographically authenticating all of the information that's housed in those loan files. So what larger lenders can now do with this data is employ automation behind due diligence, have a reasonable amount of certainty that the information that's being displayed in that due diligence process is authentic. They can actually trace it back to the source of the information, knowing full well that it hasn't been changed. But further to that, beyond just the due diligence and the authentication of the data, what it allows for is a very permanent and transparent record of the communication between the trading partners, ultimately leading up to settlement on the transfer of that data and that loan file, and then the electronic of that loan file and that data to the new owner. So let's go a little bit deeper there. You mentioned kind of the lender side of it. In this commercial real estate ecosystem, you have sponsors, right? People like me who are out finding opportunities, sourcing those deals. And then we've got lenders, right? People that are loaning me money in order to transact on the acquisitions. There's a big, in my experience of talking to people in this world, there's a lot going on on the lender side in terms of payments, debt, et cetera. The sponsor side, especially the capital, has been much slower on the adoption. Can you maybe talk a little bit about what the state of play is today for lenders leveraging blockchain technology and where you think there'll be massive developments in the next three to five years in the lender payment world? Yeah, sure. I think it's very, very clear early on that this technology is bringing significant efficiency to these lenders, allowing them to scale their business and not be so reliant on that back office staff for this operation. It's exciting to see this evolve, though, because what I'm seeing and what I'm forecasting is that as the lenders start to use the blockchain more, as it becomes more part of their business after these loans have been originated, we are seeing a path toward moving the blockchain functionality to the front end of that process, actually allowing for sponsors to potentially in the near future issue their own debt smart contracts on the blockchain, allowing for these larger lenders to originate those loans directly with the sponsors and the sponsors essentially to be able to shop the market in a much more efficient manner on the front end of the origination side. So I I think that that is in the near future, although it's not there yet. I think we may have to wait another year or two before we're at that point. So (laughs) as I've referenced, real estate is a notoriously old line industry with a lot of regulatory hurdles on the lender side. Could you maybe speak to what the regulatory environment looks like today and where you see the ability to move the needle and 
where there are certain choke points that are just going to take a lot of time to work through, especially on the, on the debt structure side. Yeah. You know, the lending, as you've mentioned, is highly regulated, especially when it comes to consumer finance, homeowner mortgages. So I think that those areas that are much more regulated may take a bit longer to adopt the blockchain. But where we're finding success now is in the business purpose lending space, where there's a bit fewer regulations around around the servicing and how those loans are handled and how the borrower is actually dealt with. And so I think that that may be the first. And, and what we're seeing is that's the first space where this technology is being adopted. Regulations also will come into play anytime that there there would be a security issue. So if these loans are bundled together and then sold out as a security, a mortgage-backed security, then we would need to involve a broker-dealer and FINRA-registered professionals in the process. But as long as these transactions are taking place between these trading partners, qualified parties, these banks, qualified purchasers, it's fine. We're not running into too many regulatory hurdles with that scenario. So. Let's take that conversation to the next step and talk about the issuer side of it, the sponsor side. There are two, and the title of the talk that the panel that we did in New York was, you know, prop tech, blockchain within commercial real estate, fundamental shift, or, or are we at a false dawn? And I think it's a bit bifurcated what you're talking about on the issuer, on the lender side. There's a lot of exciting things happening. On the sponsor side, the two biggest challenges are capital raising and then providing liquidity on the back end and some type of true right. secondary marketplace. Now, I think we've talked about this a lot. There's a lot of challenges there before we can right. really truly say that that's been achieved. I, I think it's a, a ways off. Could you maybe speak at first on the, on the capital raising side? You mentioned having a broker dealer and the regulatory environment being a qualified purchaser, accredited investor. There's a lot of moving pieces there. Could you maybe give just a snapshot of the state of play within that space in the blockchain world? Yeah, absolutely. I think what the blockchain would do in that use case is essentially allow for a sponsor to tokenize their capital raise. And instead of issuing out a typical certificate representing ownership stake to an LP in your special purpose vehicle, you would issue them a token. And that token, the investor through that token would be able to manage their distribution preferences. They would be able to initiate a transfer request. They would be able to communicate the details of that transfer request for the sponsor to review and then ultimately approve that transfer movement of that token to a new owner. And then I think what a lot of people in the industry are hopeful of is that a, a true secondary market may emerge as well over time with some of these regulated exchanges. And I know we've spoken to the guys at T-Zero in the past. They're one of the leaders in the space. And these are exchanges that are licensed with FINRA and, and SEC as an alternative trading system. So essentially like a NASDAQ or a New York Stock Exchange, where when these securities are listed on one of these alternative trading systems like a T-Zero, the investors within the pool could potentially exit and sell their position to another investor on the exchange. We haven't seen a lot of traction in that space yet, although I do think it is something that's very viable and the future will probably deliver this type of a solution. But but some of the challenges we've seen early on is just the, the confusion on the part of the investors and the LPs, hesitance to invest through a token-based offering and, you know, 
when it comes to real estate and sponsors in general, as you mentioned, it's a conservative space. And I think it's, you know, focused mainly around results. And so right now, the blockchain solution tends to be more of a hurdle than something that would actually help a sponsor to raise their money easily. Right. And you can imagine if there was a true stock exchange for commercial real estate, it would be the biggest marketplace in the world by right. a lot, like exponential. Yeah. And it will happen at some point. There are groups like, I think, I believe they're called Lex mm-hmm. out of New York, who yep. I think they tokenize a whole building in, in New York, and they've kind of put that up on a, on a platform. So you're starting to see it. Interestingly, we don't get a lot of asks from our LPs. They're asking us to do this as a sponsor, right? So I think there's a lot of education that needs to take place. Right. Fundamentally, it's not any different than when we put together a schedule one on an SPV LLC and look at the capital stack and you fractionalize your ownership. It's really just the form and function of what that ownership is. So from a, from a technology standpoint, being able to have that immutable ledger time stamped and, and ownership, it would be terrific, especially if you could kind of do KYC and AML. But that's kind of also the problem of the solution, right? Because when you talk about transferring ownership rights, I've got to go to my lender and get consent from them to transfer right. those rights over, which is a very slow and expensive process. Yep. And so there are still some, I think, you know, from a regulatory perspective, we're way behind where the technology is, which, you know, kind of makes sense. So I think we know what the end game looks like. What would be some things that if you're an investor or you're just watching this space, that would be big headline events knowing that we were actually making progress in achieving some of these things? Are there certain like laws that need to be passed? Are there certain volumes that need to be hit? that we can say, okay, this is actually kind of a viable marketplace? I think there are some major stakeholders in any in the offering. And I think you identified it clearly in your last statement. The lenders, in my opinion, hold most of the capital in any of these deals. And so this is where we're focused on at Earn because we're seeing the immediate impact that the blockchain does have on that space. It does deliver an immediate ROI and immediate benefit to the users. And so we believe that if we can get the lenders, if we can get the debt capital onto the blockchain using smart contracts for communicating, we should be able to then fold in the equity. And those requests for transfer should be able to be automated through the smart contract with a solid KYC AML you know, component backing up that data. And that's really, you know more about the space than I do. We talked about this a lot. If you can get that right, then you create this really unbelievable flywheel virtual circle where sponsors start using this technology to raise capital initially. Then they offer folks this tokenized secondary marketplace where they can gain liquidity, which has always been the biggest barrier to entry into real estate. Once you start creating that true secondary market, sponsors get to meet new investors who are trading out those positions with your current LP stack. And then it gets really exciting because you're talking about you know, potentially a global investor network where it's truly democratized and fractionalized, right? Absolutely. And again, the immutability and transparency of the data that's housed on the blockchain, the sponsor can really start to build up a reputation for their performance, not only on the debt side, but also on the equity side as they move forward and speak to that history on the blockchain. So again, helping them in the future with that due diligence and, and building trust through the, through the use of the technology.
And I, I know a lot of sponsors are really worried, scared about this because change is scary. Mm-hmm. But when you think through it, you know, there'll still be a need for really, really top notch sponsors and asset managers because these LPs are not going to want to operate a real estate building in Tallahassee, Florida, right? They're just going to want to get their distributions and dividends. And so there's still going to be a great place for folks like us to have a role within that ecosystem. And I know we're not going to name names, but I know you've been in conversations with some significant Wall Street actors in this space. When you sit down and meet with them, both on the equity and the debt side, where are they most bullish? Like, what are the questions they're asking you? And in what direction are they thinking this world's going to head into these kind of, you know, wirehouses and big Wall Street type actors? Yeah, I think that they're most bullish on the fact that with the blockchain, that the data is so clear, it is so reliable, and it is transportable. And that that is the big change. It can be applied to so many different spaces and industries from finance to climate tech and beyond. When I speak to these firms, I think they're bullish on the underlying technology. There's no question that this will be adopted. It's just very early. The tools for these larger organizations to reliably use this technology and apply their organization's policies and governance procedures to this technology don't really exist. And so I I feel that over the next couple of years, these tools are going to start emerging, like the Earn platform that does allow for these organizations to use this tech and to significantly improve their operations and profitability. Want to learn more about investing in alternatives? Get started by joining the Capital Club, where you'll get exclusive access to alternative investment opportunities, premium content and education, and an affinity peer-to-peer network of industry professionals. You can sign up by going to our website at www.excelsiorgp.com. Right, and I think what we've seen play out within the Bitcoin crypto world, we need to get the buy-in from the SEC and FINRA and the regulatory body, even though it's going to be painful and time-consuming, in order to have mass adoption. And so we really need to get these big, you know, Wall Street asset management firms and investment banks to get behind this and to push because otherwise it's just going to be very slow and clunky. When we think about kind of the next three to five years on the investment side, where are you spending most of your time, you know, managing the company, going to where you can get some low hanging fruit in the immediate term while still maintaining kind of this big picture theme of where we might be going 25 years down the road. Right. Strategically, we're looking for volume and we're looking for immediate impact. So we we want to be able to bring this technology to organizations where the moment they start using it, they see a difference in their profitability, in their efficiencies. Those sectors in real estate, primarily, as we mentioned earlier, are on, on the debt side with the lenders, the wholesale lenders trading these loans that have already been closed behind the scenes on the blockchain. But we're also seeing quite a bit of traction in the energy sector and the natural resources sector. So there, as you're familiar, there's a lot of focus on ESG right now from large capital. And these energy producers are under tremendous pressure to manage their methane emissions, to manage their carbon footprint to report back to the public and their stakeholders on what that 
is, and it, it's quite costly for many of these companies to manage their emissions. What the blockchain is going to allow for and the use case that we're bringing to the table is for these companies to reliably document their energy production and then allow for third-party organizations to monitor that methane and carbon output and then report directly to the producer's blockchain on what that methane or carbon was. The result is actually a tokenized carbon offset, an an emissions tokenized carbon offset that can be sold and monetized through voluntary emissions trading. What this does is allow for these energy companies and producers of metals, for instance, and and other natural resource-based products to monetize their green investments, to recuperate that capital. And actually, what we found is make a profit on it, which is incredibly exciting in that going green could be profitable for these companies. And these new energy tokens that represent the data behind their carbon management, methane management, are actually a new asset on their balance sheet. That's incredibly exciting. And I think it it could really move the needle much faster than any of the tax credit programs that the federal government is bringing to the fore for carbon and methane. I want to go back to this tokenization concept and dig in a little bit more because I don't think sponsors or investors fully understand it. Could you maybe just go a little bit deeper there in terms of drawing an analogy between how deals are structured today, right? So today we, we spin up an LLC entity. Yep. We have 50 individuals through various entities participate on the equity side as common equity investors. They're listed out in the schedule one. And they have their percentage pro rata ownership rights within that building, ABC, in wherever market. Could you maybe walk through, in, instead of them signing an operating agreement, what that would look like functionally on the LP side in terms of their tokenization of that ownership interest? And then kind of walk through what it would mean from a distribution reporting and then from a secondary potential marketplace opportunity? Absolutely. Surprisingly, it's very, very similar. The laws and regulations around an offering of this type don't change much. So on the front end of the deal, when, when your LPs are conducting due diligence and, and asking their questions and getting ready to sign that operating agreement or that subscription agreement, there is really no blockchain involved. You're presenting them with your offering, you're presenting them with the data room, and you're presenting them with the documents that they need to sign in order to subscribe. The blockchain comes into play at the closing. So once you've had all of your commitments from the LPs, you're moving toward the closing. At that closing is when the tokens representing ownership in that SPV would be minted. And the way that we would handle it at Earn is those tokens would be minted directly in the wallet of those investors at that moment. So you would never hold custody of these tokens at any point as the sponsor they would be versed within the wallet of that investor at their first at inception. The investor through the platform, and this is a centralized platform, not on the blockchain, but it communicates with the blockchain, can manage their distribution preferences. They can communicate with the smart contract that essentially represents your offering. And the tokens represent a fractional piece of that smart contract. So each investor owns a, a small fractional component of that smart contract on the blockchain. After you get started, after the closing, distributions can be reported through that smart contract and electronically 
information about the distributions can be delivered electronically through the blockchain and through the platform to the investors. And you can distribute those funds through stable coins on the blockchain, although I don't find many LPs are interested in that. Or you can just distribute the funds normally and log that distribution on the blockchain for distribution of the US dollars. So the way I think of it, it's almost like this next iteration of some of these investor relations software platform solutions where you're communication, your transparency, if you wanted to receive distributions monthly or quarterly or annually, how you want your K-1 to be uploaded, who you want access to the K-1. It's kind of that next iteration. But could you go a little bit more in depth on, from the LP perspective on that investor journey and experience, be it from when they receive due diligence, from you know the communication, what that potential could be to really impact that LP journey throughout the investment cycle? Yeah. So, I mean, because you're dealing with a digital instrument, you can digitize most of the experience. So the invitation, and I think it's it exists today. And, and you mentioned this earlier with with some of the existing applications out there, like RealPage is one that that has a lot of users. Juniper Square has a lot of users. That that onboarding and due diligence process, the subscription process would be very, very similar. But after the closing, I think is where the real power comes in. This is where the investor is going to have significantly more control over their investment, more insight into what's happening with the investment and the ability to potentially transfer that investment, whether it's a private transfer or it's on an exchange if the sponsor chooses to list that offering on an exchange, a regulated exchange. Yeah, I mean, it would be just, you know, incredibly powerful (laughs) from the LP and their sponsor position to be able to achieve all of that. You're a great solution. There are other solutions out there. There's a lot of people trying to do this. If you're a sponsor or an LP interested in learning about the tokenization, obviously I've grown to know and trust and like you. So I'd highly recommend people reach out to you, but what are just some questions that either the sponsors or LPs need to be asking these various platforms or third-party solution providers about you know, I don't know if it's anything from cybersecurity, from the tech stack perspective, from a diligencing on the platform. Like, you know, obviously I recommend they talk to you, but what are some of the questions that these people need to be asking to make sure that they're working with a, a top plate group that's going to be able to accomplish everything they say they will be? Yeah, there's a lot of sensitive information, as you know, when you're dealing with financial instruments. So I would highly recommend working with a firm that is SOC 2 compliant at minimum. They have strong security policies, procedures in place, and they're being audited by preferably a big four for those policies and procedures pertaining to their technology. I think that's incredibly important. Tokenization, there are a lot of firms talking about creating tokens and minting tokens. Tokens are not difficult to make. The real thing that a sponsor or anyone conducting due diligence for a platform like this should should be looking at are the tools that allow them to manage those tokens, to manage their activities on the blockchain. Most of those tools are not going to be blockchain-based. They're going to be centralized tools that allow you to interface with those smart contracts. But that is a very important component because you can imagine you can create these tokens and place them in anyone's wallet, but beyond that, it could get a little bit dangerous if you don't have the tools to properly manage the activities pertaining to those tokens. So so that's one thing I would definitely be looking into. Also, the type of blockchain that's being used. Many of these solutions are utilizing public blockchains, which 
I think are fantastic. They really do allow for authentication of the data in a way that a private blockchain might not in the way that they are decentralized and have true independent nodes hosting these blockchains. But there are some negatives to the public blockchain as well in that it is public. There are expenses involved. There are cryptocurrencies being generated to remunerate the miners for hosting these nodes. We're not utilizing any public blockchain in the current solution. Most of the large organizations that we're working with would not feel comfortable putting that type of data on a public blockchain. So so those are things that you might want to consider as a sponsor when looking at solutions, especially for financial instruments like we're discussing today. And what does the market look like today? I mean, what does adoption look like? Volume? Is there are there things happening internationally that are not happening domestically? Maybe give us a sense of of what that kind of state of play looks like of folks actually using and leveraging this technology for transactions. It definitely is still emerging. So it, it's not mainstream by any stretch of the imagination. And I think you do see different use cases in different areas of the world. But I do believe that here in the United States, we are leading the way with, with this enterprise tech. But yeah, it still is very, very early. I, I think that in my opinion, and I mentioned it in New York, I think with this blockchain technology, with cryptocurrency, we saw over the last several years, it started with sort of this seedy underbelly of the market. You know, you saw Silk Road, you saw some strange transactions that, you know, people were laundering money and doing things that, you know, they, they otherwise couldn't outside of cryptocurrencies. And then it slowly became adopted by more reputable players, ultimately finding its place into some institutional groups, Bitcoin and cryptocurrency. I believe with the the enterprise blockchain, it's actually going to be the opposite. I think the first adoption is going to come at the very largest level of enterprise. These larger institutions, banks, and corporations that will use this to improve the way that their business functions and improve their profitability. And through that, almost as we were speaking to earlier, by the banks adopting it first, it's going to naturally transition into the equity side. I think by these larger organizations adopting this technology, it'll slowly trickle down through the rest of the economy until it's as as prevalent as the internet is today. Yeah, and as I've remarked often on the show, I think this fractionalization of, of, of real asset ownership is in very early innings. And people want exposure to real assets, be it energy, commodity, real estate, etc., and I think this technology will just completely change and disrupt how people invest and think about that. If you think about the REIT market as a really bad proxy, but still from a market capitalization perspective, you know, if you could, if you could do that on a global level and really do away with some of these barriers to entry, it's just a massive, massive landscape. Well, Aaron, I want to thank you for coming on. We've done a couple things together and they're always terrific and you're doing great work. You're always Thank kind you. of, and you've helped educate me over the last three years about at least the terminology and, and the right questions to ask. You're a wealth of resource and knowledge. If people are interested in engaging with you to learn more about EARN or some of the work you're doing with blockchain and commercial real estate, what's the best way for them to get in touch? I think email is probably the best way to reach me. And that's al at earn.re. Well, Aaron, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to join us today and really encourage people to reach out. He's 
we had a great panel discussion. We've done some co-branded content together and you all are doing great things. So I wish you the best of luck moving forward. Thanks, Brian. Thanks for having me. Thank you for joining us for today's episode of The Capital Club. If you enjoyed what you heard in this episode, please like, rate, or leave us a review. And stay tuned for our next episode coming soon. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 